I will say good evening, and I will sit here. I don't know what they are trying to say by putting me to sit, but <laughs> uh, there will be times that I'll get up and do what I have to do. I ask uh, Dr. Jeffries to give me a hand when it's time to stop so that we could have a question-answer period. I was told that I may make my presentation in, in any subject area that I desire, and so I will make it tonight a little in an area that you have never heard me on, I know. It is the Nubian origin of Egypt. Most people speak about Egypt as if Egypt was the first so civilization or society in Egypt or in Africa, and that couldn't be more false than saying that a rabbit is a pigeon. Egypt is one of the last of the ancient cultures, if not the last along the Nile. What made Egypt so important is not that it led any African society in antiquity, but that it is the society in where most of the artifacts have be remained because it was the first of the African society and the societies of the entire world to, thank you, to place their recordings in stone. That's the uniqueness of Egypt um, uh, uh, in difference to other African societies along the Nile. We cannot place Egypt before the civilian period, civilian first, second, and third, in terms of records. Whereas you can place the societies of Africa at the headwaters of the Nile, Ethiopia, Uganda, Somalia, uh, even Kenya and Tanganyika, we go back to an Egyptian himself, and a very early Egyptian going back in the second and third dynasty who said, we came, we meaning the Egyptians, from the beginning of the Nile, where God happy dwells, at the foothills of the mountain of the moon. As a matter of fact, Nubia was Egypt before Egypt became Nubia. I hope that isn't confusing. It wasn't meant to be confusing, though it is. What I'm saying to you before, the term Egypt in whatever language or words you want to describe it, if you're going to use Kemet, or you're going to use Tameri, or Sais, or Pearl of the Nile, either word you use, it does not come before Tanahisi. Tanahisi, as a Nubian state, predated that of Egypt. Tanahisi was pre-dynastic. Why don't we have Tanahisi then, or Nubia, highlighted in this school or any other school, or by most African, quote, Africanists, and of course, other people dealing with Africa is because of what the Greeks did 
and we still cannot get away from our Greek naval strength. Let's go back to antiquity, to history. The point of the emphasis of Egypt is dynastic. The point of the emphasis of dating Egypt's antiquity is based upon artifacts from the time of the Greeks until the present time. Although the, the Greeks were not anywhere in society before 1000 BC. What our education have given us in these institutions, including the so-called black institutions, is a Greco-Romano and other European type of African background. And it is that that I wish to deal with this evening. It is that which I am working at the present time in my field diggings, my archaeological team, not to prove, because it doesn't need any kind of proof. The facts are there, if we should look at the facts. My reason for coming down the Nile, instead of going up the Nile like most people come to Cairo, they fly into Cairo, and then they start in Cairo, going up to Aswan. I start in Aswan and go down to Cairo. One time we even went down to uh, Alexandria for what I do not know. But nevertheless, it must be now emphasized that Nubia is the mother of Egypt, just as Ethiopia is the mother of Nubia, and just as Somalia, Kenya, Uganda is the grandmother of Egypt. If we are to look, no society in human history starts at the end of a river and work up against the current of that river. Because the means by which men would travel up the river had to be locomotion. There was no sailboat for man to use when he first started to navigate the river. He started with logs solid logs of tree that he realized floated. He then started to tie logs together to give more buoyancy for those of you in engineering. And then man started to hollow out logs in order that he may take much more weight. And that was the beginning of man transportation along the river. He traveled on the river before he traveled on the wheels. He traveled on the river before he started traveling on the backs of other animals besides himself. And we must go back to these to, in order to understand. We must go back to the paintings of the Grimaldis, the paintings of other small African people, namely the Hutu and also the Kalahari, <clears throat> the Khoikhoi, and other Africans especially those that went into Egypt, namely the Sebenatos. I don't have time to talk and to spell these names because I've spoken to you a number of times and by now you should be able to spell those words. It was not until as late as the 1500 that Egypt, 
the same Egypt that we are talking about, became extended to what is now called Aswan. Aswan or Senuset or Senort as it was called. It was 1500 before the common era that Egypt took over Nubia from a place now still called Asuit. Deep into the southern part of Egypt was the northernmost part of Sudan, or Aswan, I mean, uh, or Nubia. Go back again. If you are accustomed to Egypt and you are in Luxor, you must travel north. That means going down the Nile to at least 200 miles north to come to Asuit. You draw a horizontal line parallel to the equator and run it across Egypt and that's where Nubia up until 1500 which will bring us into the 18th dynasty that was still Nubia. So when you're speaking about Nubia, you are speaking about the creation of dynastic Egypt. And again, that's what we have overlooked in our Greek uh, mythology, in our Greek training, in our European education. The 18th dynasty of 1500 and thereabout bring us at a period of time when we are speaking about the Inhoteps, that would include Akhenaten, it is that brings us before the very noted, and in my case, the most noted of the Egyptian pharaohs in terms of what they contributed to society, which will be Ramesses II. And all that happened subsequent to that. However, what is overlooked is the role that Nubia played even in dynastic Egypt. We know of Nubia and we deal with Nubia in terms of one particular person, and that would be the wife of Ramesses II, Nefertari II, because we then generally don't speak of Nefertari in terms of second. She is the second. There was a previous Nefertari, which we will speak about later. Nubia not only gave to Egypt Nefertari second or Nefertari first, but Nubia passed on her culture to Egypt. We think of Nubia in terms of the Nubian dynasty, 24, 25, depends on whose chronology you're using. And that would be a point when Egypt would already start to decay. Egypt was already in her dying days, when we are talking about the point when the dynasties were controlled under Nubian tutelage. I am talking about Nubian dynastic influence from the time of Aha, A-H-A, and the time of another man who was confused with Aha, namely Nama. The Greeks were the ones who decided that Nama was the first of the pharaohs, call him Mena, 
as well as they call him later, Menace. But in fact, it was Aha who really started. There were three Ahas, and only two are recorded in Egyptian history. One of the Aha is said to be the first priest of ancient Egypt. Aha, this Aha was the one that introduced the Nubian god to Egypt. But that Nubian god has been carefully suppressed. We are talking about Mendelusi. Mendelusi is said by certain Western historians to be the brother of Osiris. In other writings, he's said to be the son of Osiris and brother of Horus. But in Nubian mythology, if you want to call it that, in Nubian religiosity, Mendelusi is the equal brother of Osiris and the senior brother of Osiris. Why isn't Mendelusi uh, mentioned? When we go to the temple of uh, uh, what is called Kalapsha, that's a German terminology, Kalapsha. That temple was Kolo Boyo. Kolo Boyo Temple. K-O-L-O, -O, one word, B-O-Y-O, -O, Kolo Boyo Temple. You will notice that when you go to that temple, there are stones belonging to the previous temple that was there. There are animals of ancient Africa and the Nile in particular shown on those stones that you find nowhere else. And then you recognize that there was a temple there hundreds of years, thousands of years that predated the temple that was built much later, equally by Nubian people. Stop and consider who worked the quarries of Nubia. There is not another place in all of Egypt where one can find marble other than Aswan. No place else. And no one can show that any marble was brought from a foreign state, whether a foreign state in Africa or a foreign state in Asia. We do not need to speak about Europe because Europe is not in history yet. Then why is it that African scholars have failed to deal with Nubia? The, the, the answer is obvious, because we have failed to deal with our color. And we're still scared to deal with our color. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, African scholars, and I uh, use the term with quotation marks, African scholars come to Harlem and they say, Dr. Ben is this, Dr. Ben is that, he introduces us to this, he introduces us to that. Look at their writings. See if you see Dr. Ben named, even mentioned in a negative way. They come after come, and they go after go, and they tell you how great Dr. Ben is. <laughs> and Dr. Ben is still laughing inside. I don't laugh in the face because it's rude, I said. <laughs> but then you take up the latest work and see if in their latest work, I'm not talking about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in their latest work, they quote everybody that Dr. Ben introduced, even the white ones. The present star, 
in academia that they caught Bornell was a fellow that came and sneak in my classes at, co at Cornell up to the last day when Cornell was getting rid of me. They came to find the last piece of information. Today, Bornell is a superstar, yet he caught me all over the place. You know, I, you, you know um, I am known to be blunt. Take up the last book of, uh, what is it, Africa Revisited or somebody revisited. And see if you see any of those scholars, any one of them, quoting Joseph Ben Hirkanen. You name it. And he or she or he and she found it necessary to quote James, who I introduced, and others, but never Ben Hirkanen. Why? Because Ben Hirkanen dare equally to say, among other things, that the civilization of Egypt is a black civilization and say it without a benefit of doubt and deal with the rape of Africa in terms of the Greeks of yesterday, the Greeks of today, and all other Europeans combined. And why do I say this? Is it, and why can't they say this? Because all of them, are, I, I can't say bar none, refuse to do the most essential thing. Get out of the library, get out of the museum, and go to the field. Take off your three-piece suit and, and the tie. You can use it. I use three-piece suit. This is my camouflage uh, uh, garment, my gig, gig as, as, the, as the brothers say. But you have to go to the field to do a deal with that original work yourself. <coughs> if you want to be a mother, you can't be a physician dealing with mothers. You've got to be a mother. Get pregnant, then you know what it is. You could be a faggot, that don't make you no mother. <laughs> you, got, you could sympathize, but you will never know what it is to be a mother. You will never know what Egypt is unless you go and do that original spade work. How could I tell that Nubia is the mother of Egypt? Before I started my latest digging of a year and a half ago, they, every time, every time I, I dug a spade, and it's not me alone, there's six other brothers, six Nubian brothers with me, but every time we bring up a, a shovel, I am not looking for no major find. I am looking for the tiniest bit of relic to put me back with the ancient brothers and sisters. But it's not only that. I go back to the old, the ancient people, the ancient modern people, if you want to call them that. Those Egyptians, those Nubians who cannot even speak today Arab. You'll be surprised to know that Arabic that there are thousands of Nubians who do not speak Arabic in Egypt. And they do not speak it not because they can't learn it, out of contempt for their conquerors. Some people ask, why don't you speak Arabic? you going to Egypt alone. I am not interested in Arabic. I'm not interested in English. I'm not interested in French. I'm not interested in any colonial language 
so that if I don't speak or speak it uh, out of its uh, proper grammar or whatnot, I don't give a damn. I don't speak it because I hate the damn thing and the people that it belongs to. That's why I don't identify myself as English, French, Dutch, or anything like that. Now, in going back, then, these are the basics in which to understand, to understand the material that one uses, one must have the frame of mind. One must place oneself in that of the actor, so to speak. One must become Ramesses to understand Ramesses. And one must become uh, Nefertari to understand her. Let us go and see one of the points in which I knew that Egypt was the child of Nubia. The most essential sacred drama in all of Egypt was the Opet Festival, the O-P-E-T Festival. And the Opet Festival came out of another festival, the Festival of the Love, the Romantic Prowess of the Mother Queen of all of Egypt. And I'm speaking about the goddess. Not the goddess that you know commonly and most shown over the heads of the pharaohs when they die. And yet she goes back way time. I am speaking about the goddess, the woman who was involved with the first trinity of the entire world community and the Nile Valley in particular. I am talking about Khonsu's mother. Khonsu is called various names, and I'm using the name that you're most familiar with. I am talking about goddess Mut, not goddess Nut. They're two different ones, M-U-T and N-U-T. Why is it that all the writings, there's an emphasis on goddess Nut, but no emphasis on goddess Mut? Because it's clearly stated that goddess Mut is a, is a, a southern goddess. Southern means upper Nile. We must look back and say, was goddess Mut was goddess Nut worshipped south of Egypt? Not at all. The ancient Nubians and Ethiopians, on the other hand, worshipped goddess Mut. Anywhere you go to the beginning of the Nile, there are folklore about goddess Mut in Uganda up to the, today. As a matter of fact, there is folklore about goddess Mut in Nigeria today, coming to Nigeria by way of the Yoruba religion. There is mention of Goddess Mut in all the way in Haiti, in Dambalawedo. Dambalawedo is a transition of the religion that comes to the Yoruba ceremonies. There is mention of Goddess Mut in Manichismo in Cuba and even in Puerto Rico, where we are talking about Santerismo, there's a mention of Goddess Mood. So what has happened is that all over the continent there are influences about Goddess Mood. And we cannot avoid it. We see the symbol of Goddess Mood 
as far south as what was called Munamutapa, before the Europeans tell us we shouldn't call our own country Munamutapa, it is a bad word, and then we uh, turn from that and call it now uh, Namibia and uh, the other name, Azania. I still say Munamutapa. Now, what we have to do then do in this case, and I know it, it, this lecture may sound rather strange to a lot of you, but I pass a certain stage now. It's introduced, take it, go with it. Now there's other stages you've got to deal with. In other words, we're past first grade, second grade, we know past kindergarten, we're now in junior high school, we pass college, you got the doctorate, now let's go to the post-doctoral lessons. <laughs> See, let us go to the one that you can't get in the classroom at all. You must come to the field to deal with this. Let us go to the one where we're talking about upon which the foundation, the spirituality of ancient Egypt rests. We are talking now about the mystery system. And we have taken up Professor James's work, beautiful work at that, at which Richard Moore was alive and a few other people for us to deal with it. I wish Professor uh, uh, Seifert was around for us to really deal with how those thoughts were placed into order and the various uh, works of Professor James before he wrote Stolen Legacy. The eight papers which Professor James published that led up to uh, Stolen Legacy. What is it that brought about the ancient Egyptian uh, philosophy of God, the concept of God? What is it that brought the ancient Egyptian concept of theology to explain the theosophy? Was it an experience from a supernatural being coming from outer space, as most of us tend to believe it a hocus-pocus? Was it, was it some god that fly over uh, some part of Egypt and said, come here, and got up on top of some hill and passed down a tablet or something? Uh, was it any of that? Uh, no. None whatsoever. It was science. The ancient African used science as the foundation for religion. And I guess I should remove the word religion from that. As found in the documents, the ancient Africans in their writings dealt with the first concept of God. The first concept, the universe and all there is in it. All explanation of the totality, this is the reason we start to talk about the universe in terms of a circle. But the ancient African place at the center, that thing upon which the universe, that became this, this circle, the universe, was that which contains everything. And the ancient African said that within this circle, there are four quadrants. They didn't use the word quadrant, that's the English word, of course. But in the center of these four quadrants in this circle, there is a centroid axis. And the Africans, the ancient Africans, projected this. 
And from that projection, and if you carry that to its extent, you will come back again. This projection will be equal to that projection. But if you take this, let's take this or take this, and we have this. Let's move this up and we have that. Let's separate them. It's one pyramid and another pyramid. The angle doesn't change. It is out of this, I'm sorry, and the projections of this that the ancient, but did this come from Egypt? Not at all. We see this in the southern, in southern Africa among the, the Grimaldis. Go to the museum in uh, the, the Metropolitan, not Metropolitan, the New York Museum of, uh, of uh, Anthropology down there at 70, and, and, and Central Park West. And you see the, the Grimaldis doing this. But what is the difference? You still have the point of this intersectional point, that intersection point, that intersection is still going to give you, the four quadrant is still going to give you the periodical uh, sign. But did we break this down? It is here that the original concept came that God is the center of the universe. And God, as the ancient called, was Ra, R-A. Why R-A? Translate R-A into English. R will be, or R is equal to the, the radius. God sees and commands all that God sees. And that's what was the Greeks are calling the mysteries. But the ancient Africans equally went farther. And said what? A, B, and C. And out of that developed A square plus B square equals C square. And all other types of uh, algebraic calculation. And that was the mystery. <coughs>